Remember that feeling of joy, like a spark of light, being innocent and free, like an evening breeze on a summer night. But then a slight change as the north wind blows, the shame of sin as addiction takes hold, feeling darkness close as the doors start to close. The unrelenting march of winter has won. It seems the occupation has begun. White flags, hands up, darkness assumes the throne. But then a flicker of light in the dead of night. The opposition is nervous. They heard the wounded healer has joined the fight. Resurrection, the glimmer of his battle scars makes the night take flight. Insurrection, we're emboldened. That's why there's more of us now, right? We've been locked up, but he set us free. We once were blind, but now we see. We no longer retreat because we've tasted and seen. And now we believe that the darkness will not overcome the light. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, I just pray that you would be lifted up and glorified, that, Lord, people might see you and as a result of an encounter with your gospel, they may leave here as different people because they have been with Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight that each person would realize the only one who knows absolutely everything about them absolutely adores them. Lord, I pray that you would just open our ears and our eyes so that we might hear what the Spirit has for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. John, the fifth chapter, verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? Now in our first sign, we discovered the importance of getting honest with God and with ourselves. Last night in our second sign, we took that next step after admitting the problem. We've got to have hope. We've got to believe that there is a solution. And now tonight in our third sign, we're taking that next step in new creation. We've got to start begin putting that belief into action. You see, that's really what faith is. Faith is putting belief into action. Belief is, is saying, I believe this can happen, but faith is, I know this can happen. I, I, I believe God wants to see greater faith here today. And so, step three is we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. So, a simple way to understand the first three steps. And as you study the 12 steps, you find out that really the three steps just keep repeating themselves through all 12. They're different spiritual principles, but the concept of surrender, hope, and action keeps repeating through all 12. And so the first step is I can't. The second step is he can. And the third step is I think I'll let him. I can't. He can. I'm going to let him. John 5, 6. Do you want to be healed? Now at first this seems like a really absurd question. Do I want to be healed? Well, what do you think, Jesus? 
You know, it reminds me of another story of another paralytic who gets lowered down through the roof. And, you know, it is very obvious why this paralytic showed up and why his friends lowered him through the ceiling. And yet Jesus, the first words to the paralytic wasn't be healed. It was, you are forgiven. So at first this seems like an absurd question, do I want to be healed? But remember, when Jesus asks questions, it's never for information, it's always for transformation. No one needed to tell Jesus about human nature, for he knew what was in every person's heart. Hallelujah, Jesus knows what you need before you do. He knows what's in everybody's heart. According to John 5, 5, he had been there in the same sixth state for 38 years. This is from a newer Bible translation, the Bible for Everyone translation, and I really love this translation. He had been there in the same sixth state for 38 years. I wonder tonight, how long have you been struggling with that same sin? How long have you been stuck in that same toxic situation? How long have you been battling that same addiction? I mean, 38 years was a very long time. 38 years of, of, of being there, of wanting to be healed, and yet remaining the same. Remaining stuck. Now, 38 years wasn't just a long time. It was a lifetime. Because the average life expectancy in the first century was 40 years. So it is very, very likely this man has spent most of his life lying beside this pool, waiting to be healed, waiting for a miracle. And in fact, this guy had made a life out of just waiting. You see, many people here tonight are just waiting for their miracle to come to them. But friends, as we saw last night, we've got to make a move. You see, the signs in John tell us, if they tell us anything, it's that we don't have to wait until we're dead to experience resurrection. Hallelujah, we can experience resurrection right now. We can experience resurrection power right now. It is accessible to us in Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing to make a move if we want a miracle. Do you want to be healed? God is asking every person here this question tonight. Now some translations say, do you want to be healed? Other translations say, do you want to be well in this case, I really like the King James Version because it asks, do you want to be whole? And I like that because the word for healing here is not just talking about body, but it's a word that means healing for body and mind. It is a word that talks about mental and emotional and spiritual healing. You see, friends, God never settles for anything less than wholeness. Like that creation, hallelujah, God ain't resting until he's finished recreating your life. God will not settle anything short of making you whole. And that's why whenever you ask God for help, he always goes deeper than you want him to go. Have you noticed that? Whenever you ask 
for God to help, he always goes deeper than you want him to go. Man, when I prayed that first night in treatment, I just wanted help with my drug problem. I thought that was my only problem. Yeah, right. That was only a symptom of my problem. After I started working a program of recovery, I realized not only did I have a drug problem, I had a denial problem. I had an anger problem. I had a spending problem. Man, I had a living problem. Everybody here tonight has problems. And we go to God, we ask for help. He always digs deeper than we want to go. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild. And at first, you understand what God is doing. You know, he's getting the plumbing right. He's, he's fixing the leaks in the roof. He's fixing the holes in the walls. I mean, you knew that those jobs needed to be done. So you're not surprised when he does them. But then he starts knocking the house about in a painful way that hurts. And suddenly, he's not making any sense. You have no idea what he's doing. He's, di- he's digging deeper. Man, he's ripping out the mildew you didn't know you had. He's tearing out the rotten floorboards you didn't know were rotten he starts putting in a new wing over here he starts building an extra floor over there he puts some columns over there and puts a courtyard out there you see you thought you were being made into a nice decent little cottage but he is building a palace that he intends to come and live in himself God will not be satisfied until you find the satisfaction that only exists in him. Addiction was only a symptom of a much deeper issue. You see, if God took away the drugs, I would have found something else to put there in its place. You see, addressing my drug problem alone wasn't going to lead to living a whole life Now, it's a good place to start, but it can't stop there. We talked about this, that, you know, new creation is a process of transformation. Man, God just gave me, you know, God will give me victory over something, and then sure enough, God shows me the next thing he's going to give me victory over. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about tonight? You know, it's always something, and because God continues to transform my life, he will not be satisfied until I build my life on something that can sustain my life. Addressing the drug problem alone wasn't enough because that was just a symptom. It's only one of the forms that darkness can take. It's not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. Have you ever heard of the term a dry drunk? What a dry drunk is, is someone who is just as angry and miserable and sick as before. They're just not drinking. You see, just because you stop drinking doesn't mean you're in a process of transformation. Just because you haven't missed church in 60 years does not mean you are in a process of transformation. Do you hear what I'm saying? John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And God's not going to stop until you experience that kind of life. 
Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. You see, just as there was a variety of problems at the pool, there is a variety of problems here tonight. You see, some of us have financial problems, and some of us tonight have relationship problems or maybe marital problems. Some of us have health problems and job problems. Some of us have school problems. Some of us here have anxiety problems and panic attack problems. Some of us have depression problems. And just like this paralyzed man... It is easy to fall into the trap of thinking, if I can just get to that pool, then I'm going to be okay. If I could just get that raise, then I would be okay. If I could just get the respect, then I would be okay. If I could just get their attention, I would be okay. If I could just get into the program, Lord, if I could just get married... Or maybe it's, Lord, if I could just get unmarried. <laughs> Don't shout amen to that. <laughs> you know, suddenly Jesus' question isn't so ridiculous. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says that he thinks the way Jesus said it to this, this, this sick, paralyzed individual was more like, look, do you really want to get better? I believe Jesus is saying that to everybody here tonight. Do you really want to get better? And too often we fall into this trap of saying, well, hey, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not as bad as that person. I mean, that's what you find out in this story. It's really crazy because based on this legend, the first people into the pool were the ones that were healed. And so you got all these people around the pool and they're competing against each other. You know, at least I'm not like that, the, the blind individual over there. And at least I'm not like that person over there. And what happens is we just remain paralyzed. We can never address our own problem. People even do that in the program. You know, the potheads say, well, at least I'm not like those, addi those alcoholics over there. And the alcoholics are like, well, at least I'm not like those pill poppers over there. And the pill poppers are like, well, at least I'm not like those junkies over there. And the junkies are like, well, at least I'm not like one of those crackheads. And the crackheads are like, at least I'm not like one of those meth heads. Friends, the problem is not that. The problem is us. And we've got, got to get close to Jesus so he can touch us and begin to transform us. Do you really want to get better tonight? Or do you want to just keep doing the same thing you've always done? You're going to just keep going to week of prayer after week of prayer with no decision for transformation. Are you going to keep going to sermon after sermon? Are you going to keep going to just session after session? Or do you want to leave here as a new creation in Christ? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. But here's the thing, that pool cannot heal that individual. You see, friends, the pool wouldn't make him whole. Popularity won't make you whole. Six figures won't make you whole. That perfect waistline won't make you whole. 
You know, you work out at the gym and you're seeing gains. You quickly find out it doesn't matter how many gains you make. There's always someone at the gym who's got better gains than you got. Right? There's always someone who makes more money than you have. There's always someone who is smarter than you are. And so we got to build our lives on something better than that. You see, six figures won't make you whole. That new house, the new spouse won't make you whole. You know what I tell my church? When the grass starts looking greener on the other side, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to water your own grass. (laughs) You think that's going to solve your problem? It's only going to expedite and increase your problems. You think that one choice, that one little bit of of, of excitement, it's going to follow you for years and it's going to paralyze you in the past. It's not going to make you whole. There's only one thing that can make you whole and he is the creator and savior of the world. According to the legend, when the waters would periodically bubble and stir, the first person who got in the water would be healed. But this, here's the thing, there is no record of anyone being healed. In fact, a lot of translations don't even include verse 4 in uh, their translation because a lot, of the, a lot of the earliest, better manuscripts don't include that verse in there. There is no record of anybody being healed from this pool. And you would have thought that after 38 years of not seeing anyone healed, this guy might have thought, you know what, I don't think that works. How many times do you have to get high to realize, you know what, it really doesn't work. It may work for a few hours but it doesn't work like I'm going to it for. You see, one is too many and a thousand's never enough. How many times do you got to go to the website to realize it's not worth the shame and the guilt and the obsession and the compulsion? How many times do you have to lose your temper and lash out in anger before you realize it doesn't work? How many times will you build your Christian identity on having all the right rules instead of having the right relationship to realize that doesn't work? You will never feel good enough. You will never feel righteous enough unless you get your identity and righteousness from Jesus Christ. The definition of insanity, friends, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I'm here to tell you tonight, we are all doing something insanely tonight. Tonight, we're going to briefly look at three points about faith from our third sign that are going to lead us into better wholeness, greater wholeness. All right, we're going to look at these three points. Do you want to be whole? Well, you're going to have to let go, you're going to have to look up, and then you're going to have to get up. Look, let go, look up, and then third, get up. First, let's talk about let, letting go. The English Standard Version uses the word invalids to describe the group that is around the pool. It is a word that means weak. It is a word that means sickly. 
But you know what? When I was thinking about that, when you think of some of the amazing people in, his, in, in history who've had physical disabilities, man, when I think of people like Stephen Hawking and Helen Keller, and man, I think of Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles, and I think of Johnny Erickson, ta-da. Man, weak is the last word I would think of. These are incredibly strong people. Man, these in, individuals were, did not allow their circumstances to stop them from becoming people of purpose and of passion. You see, I believe the greatest obstacle coming between us and wholeness, it is never a physical disability, it is always a spiritual disability. You see, friends, the thing, that's what addiction is. It is, it, is, it is a spiritual deficit. We keep going to something for love, and it cannot give us what we go to it for. You see, friends, everything in this life that we go to for identity, joy, and purpose that isn't God steals life instead of gives life. The greatest obstacle coming between us and wholeness is never physical. It's spiritual. It isn't lack of health. It is a lack of faith. John 5, 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. D.A. Carson, the theologian, says the crotchety, he, he describes this guy's answer as the crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man who thinks he is answering a stupid question. Little does he know he's talking to the creator of the universe. You see, he's blaming other people for his problems. Someone always gets in front of me. He's blaming other people for his circumstances. I've discovered it's always easier to blame others than to take a long, hard look at myself. And you know, for years, I stayed in addiction paralyzed because I was like, well, this is why, this is why, and because of this and because of that. And it wasn't until I took responsibility for my own circumstances that I began healing and experiencing a light that the darkness cannot overcome. Now, I want to be clear. There are some things that happen to us in life that we are not responsible for. I want to be clear that we are not always responsible for what's happened to us, but we are responsible for the way we respond to what happens to us in life. We are responsible for whether or not we are going to allow God to begin the process of healing. We have to answer the question, you know, am I going to continue laying here, holding on to the pain, holding on to the past, holding on to the, on to the problem? Am I going to continue to, to hold on to the resentments? And this is the thing about resentments. The only people they hurt are you. Will I keep holding on to the resentment and become a very bitter, angry person? Or will I let go of the pain and will I grow? As you study this scene, you realize this guy was frustrated. I mean, you can sense the frustration in his voice. I wonder tonight, friends, what is your greatest source of frustration? Maybe it's a character defect. Maybe it's a habit. You know, maybe it's a painful experience that won't let go of you. What are you going to that hasn't been working? What sin keeps siphoning your life? 
Friends, you've got to let go of it tonight. In Matthew 16, 25, it says, For whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, you've got to let go of your old life if you want to receive your new life tonight. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In John 5.6, it says that Jesus knew he had already been there a long time. See, this gives me comfort. Jesus knows how long I've been where I am. Jesus already knows how long you've been hurting. Jesus already knows what you've been through. Jesus already knows everything about you. And he still absolutely loves you. You see, before you had a problem, Jesus already had a solution. And yet when Jesus, the creator and the sustainer, the resurrection and the life, shows up and asks, do you want to be whole? This guy keeps bringing up something else. You see, he's so focused on what he thinks is the solution, he can't see his Savior right in front of him. He's paralyzed by this pool, and I wonder, what are you laying by? What is paralyzing you tonight? What do you keep going to that isn't working? You see, too many people like this guy spend their entire life looking for wholeness and purpose in someone or something that cannot give it to you. That's why whenever people talk about having a soulmate, I want to slap them. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I have nothing against the e-harmonies and stuff like that. I mean, hey, and, and man, people have met their couples, their spouses in that, and, and hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's great. But let me just tell you right now, if, if your soulmate is anyone, this idea that if I just find the right person, all of my dreams will come true, that is just insane, because the only soulmate that can completely satisfy you is not your spouse. And I love my wife. Heaven knows I love my wife. She stuck with me when no one else should have. Man, when I, I, I would have divorced me if I was married to me. But let me tell you, if you're looking to someone to satisfy your deepest needs, not only will you not be satisfied by them, but you're putting a burden on their shoulders they cannot fulfill. You are looking to someone or something to satisfy you, and only Jesus Christ can satisfy you. Now, now that person, I do believe God brought my wife into my life. I do believe he's involved in these details. Hallelujah. But Christ is the foundation of my life. If you want to be whole, you have to let go of whatever you're going to. You've got to let go of the past. You've got to let go of that, maybe that person. You've got to let go of this idea that anything other than God can make you feel whole. Second point. After you let go, you've got to immediately look up. You see, if you uproot an idol in your life, but you fail to plant something in its place, the idol always grows back. If you kick a demon out of, of, of the home of your life, he's going to go out and bring a bunch of demons and come in through the back door. 
If you uproot an idol in your life but fail to plant something in its place, the idol will always come back and it'll come back worse than it was before. John Calvin said that our hearts are like idol factories. In the wilderness, when the people were bitten by the snakes, what did they have to do in order to live? They had to look up. They had to look up. Friends, in John 3.14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have, hallelujah, eternal life. You see, friends, the only way you can ever let go is by looking up. The only way you will stop being obsessed with other people's approval is when you look up and you see you got heaven's approval. And I don't really care if you don't like me, if heaven loves me. You see, friends, that's why Stephen was able to die with a smile on his face when he was surrounded by opposition and people were throwing stones and stoning him to death. When he looked up, he saw Jesus standing up. You see, I don't need to have other people's approval. I don't care if other people are condemning me if my Savior is vindicating me. you got to look up. you got to look up. Only then will you stop looking for love in the wrong places because you'll see the ultimate love that Jesus has for you. Hebrews, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. Not, a, not only does he begin the good work in you, but he finishes the good work in you. The founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Because Christ has the victory, you have the victory. Man, so stop giving your sin so much attention and see your Savior. Stop walking around with your head down and lift your head up high. Your problem has nothing on the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.20 in the message paraphrase says, When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. So friends, if you want change, if you want more courage, if you want to see how much you're worth, if you want to see your value, don't look around you. I, I want you to look up. You want to see your hope, you've got to look up. Salvation is in him. Your healing is in him. Your value is in him. Power doesn't come from within. It comes from him. And you've got to look up. Look up. To the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Do you want to be whole? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, while I'm going, another steps down before me. And I love this scene because you know what? Jesus doesn't even acknowledge this guy's ridiculous response to his question. He just jumps right over that and says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Man, I don't know about you, but I praise God every day for the times he ignored my stupidity. And that's why one day, friends, when we get to glory, when we get to heaven, we're not going to only praise God for the prayers he answered. I believe we're going to praise him for the prayers he didn't answer. 
<laughs> because you see, he sees things you don't see, and he knows things that you don't know. I praise God every day for the times he ignored my small faith, for all the times he wouldn't let me build my life on something that couldn't sustain my life, for all the times he wouldn't let me settle for anything short of his perfect solution, for all the times I prayed and asked for a pool, but he sent his son instead. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Don't you see, friends, God gives you what you would have asked for if your faith wasn't so weak. And that is why, friends, when the paralytic was dropping through the, 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 the ceiling, Jesus doesn't say get up, because what he needed most wasn't healing in the legs, it was healing in the heart. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus always gives you exactly what you need. Let go. I can't. Look up. He can. Last point. Get up. I think I'll let him. I think I'll let him. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Friends, in order to be whole... As we've seen in each one of our signs so far, every single miracle, the person who experienced the miracle took God's word seriously. They didn't just say they believed it, they acted on the belief. I'm talking about faith. In every single situation, in order for new creation to happen, we have to be willing to take God's word seriously. Because you see, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, friends, when I came into the rooms and, and when I began my process of recovery and I talked about meeting Marvin and getting hope from his story, I had to start putting the things in practice that I was hearing, man. I started having to develop a prayer life again. Because the only prayers I prayed when I was in active addiction are what you call foxhole prayers. Lord, get me out of this and I'll never do it again. I had to develop a real prayer life. And I remember Marvin told me, he says, Richie, let me give you a little trick. He says, put your shoes under your bed so that every morning you got to get on your knees to get them. This will remind you to pray. And little practical things like that, they seem silly. They seem like nothing. But, but friends, that stuff saved my life. The 12 steps are just biblical principles and they give you simple way to practice what the word of God says in your life. To not just think it, but to act it. To actually practice what you preach because that's when your miracle happens. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Faith is living what you've learned. It's putting your life in the hands of God and trusting him you see, it works when we work it. And just like this official last night, the moment Jesus spoke it and this man believed it and put his faith into action, that, my friends, is when healing happened. And suddenly someone who hasn't walked in 38 years is walking. Someone who was stuck 
most of his life is now moving, which means regardless of how long you've struggled with your past, regardless of how long your relationship or marriage has been stuck, or how far you've drifted from God, if you're willing to let go, look up. By the grace of God, you can get up tonight. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is accessible to you right now. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm ready to rise up today. You see, this message is for people who are ready to rise. Rise above the fray, rise out of the circumstances, to rise out of the problem, to rise up out of the addiction, to rise up out. This message is for people who are ready to rise. And you know what? I wish we could say the story ended here, but you pick up, you're picking up this, you're going to start picking up this pattern with all of these signs that we look at from the book of John. With every sign that Jesus did, it brought opposition. I wish I could say the story ended here and he lived happily ever after. But you see, the devil isn't going to let him off that easy. I hope you know the enemy's not going to let you off easy either. As we follow this story, the Pharisees come down on this guy pretty hard because he's carrying a mat on the Sabbath. Friends, that is messed up. Someone who hasn't walked in over 38 years is walking and they're worried about him carrying a mat. You see, instead of noticing the miracle, they're focusing on the mess up. And I don't know how many times in my own church and, and just traveling when, when so often someone comes into the church, which by the way is a miracle in of itself, and people are focused on the mess up instead of the miracle. Because they have no joy, they don't want anyone else to have joy. Hurt people hurt people. You've heard that before, right? Man, they don't enjoy the Sabbath. They're going to make sure nobody else enjoys the Sabbath. You see, Sabbath is work for them. They don't want you to rest. <laughs> They're working their way to heaven. It's work. They have no joy. They don't want you to have any joy. Have you ever met someone like that? Jesus just raised this guy up. So the devil's going to try to knock him back down. And sadly, the devil uses the church to do it. You see, friends, it is not by accident that the Holy Spirit has John include this confrontation. I believe Jesus wants us to know what his real church should be about. That his church should be a place where people can come as they are. People have to come as they are. You know why? Because you can't come as you aren't. <laughs> This should be a place where people have time to encounter the gospel. Get out of the way of the gospel. Where people can encounter Jesus Christ. You don't get to change them. Only Jesus does. 
You see, the mat represented the years of pain this guy had. It represents the paralyzation of 38 years. And these guys won't let him forget his past. Jesus has just begun new creation, but they keep bringing him back. He's trying to raise up to the heavenly places, and the negative people are trying to pull him back down to earth. You know, the translation of the sheep gate can also be translated the sheep pool. You know, maybe the reason all these sick people are hanging out at the pool is because they had no other place to go. You see, the church would not let God's sheep come in. Friends, the church is to be a hospital for the sick. This has to be a place for the sick. Which means we shouldn't be surprised when sick people show up. I don't know how many times people shout hallelujah, amen when I say that. And then sick folks show up and they're like, pastor. They're sick. The fact that you came up to me and just said that, you're sick. When people show up, our job is to love them. Love them into the kingdom. Those who are supposed to be lovingly tending his sheep have left them out to die. You know, too often we don't feed the sheep. We barbecue the sheep. We chew them up and we spit them out because, you know, we're vegetarian, right? <laughs> oh. Instead of lovingly tending the sheep, the sheep have been scattered and that's why Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Hallelujah, friends. John 10, 11 says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see, friends, Jesus is a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd. Sometimes the way I hear people talk about their, you know, they're unsure of their salvation, their, un, their, their lack of assurance that God's got them in the palm of their hands. I mean, the way people talk about their Savior, he's not a good shepherd, he's a bad shepherd. But friends, the Bible said Jesus is a good shepherd. At the end of this scene, like with many of the signs we run into something that John notes. He concludes almost every sign with this. When Jesus performs a miracle, we run into something of this nature. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. You see, friends, what we need to understand as we are looking through these seven signs that make up the beginning of John's gospel is that every single sign Jesus gave was a death sentence for Jesus. Every time Jesus healed someone or showed the church what the Sabbath was really about, that it was a time of healing, that it was a time of rest, that it was a time of joy, that it was a time of celebration, every time Jesus healed someone, Opposition grew. People hated him even more. And that's what's amazing about my Jesus. Because it means that he knew. He knew what healing this man would cost him. And yet he did it anyway. 
Friends, Jesus knew that the only way he could ever make this man's legs move is if his own legs were nailed to a cross and couldn't move. That the only way to prevent the official son from dying is if God sent his own son to die. That the only way, Jesus knew, the only way he could provide wine and rescue this family from shame is if he went to the cross and was put to shame. That the only way that he could heal this broken man and make him whole is if he himself and his body was broken. You see, friends, the only way Jesus could ever tell this man to pick up his bed and walk is if Christ was going to pick up his cross and walk to Calvary. You see, friends, every single miracle and sign Jesus did was in the shadow of the cross. But that's how much God loves you. Jesus let go of heaven. You know, we're worried about letting go of our sin. Man, Jesus let go of heaven in order to save you. Jesus let go of heaven. You don't let go of nothing. Jesus let go. That though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. No, it was God who let go and emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, Jesus was the one who looked up in John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And he was crucified and he was killed. But hallelujah, friends, three days later, Jesus got up. <laughs> Jesus got up. In fact, the word Jesus uses to tell the paralyzed man to get up is a word reg used regularly throughout the entire New Testament to describe resurrection. Because Christ got up from the grave. The only thing that could ever completely destroy you. The only thing that could have ever kept you down forever. Because Christ came out of the grave. You can get up out of your grave right now. If the grave could not keep him. And the darkness could not defeat him. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome. Man, you got to make the decision to get up with Christ tonight. Because no one has ever done for you what God has done for you. Your job will not die for you. Let me tell you. They'll kill you, but they won't die for you. I've grown to really love you guys. But I ain't going to die for you. Jesus died for you. I wouldn't die for you, and, and I don't know everything about you. Jesus knows everything about you, every thought you've ever thought, and he still died for you. That's the love. The only one who can see you all the way from heaven to the soles of your feet loves you all the way from the soles of your feet clear up to heaven. Make that decision to trust in him tonight. If nothing changes, friends, nothing changes. No one has ever done for you what God has done for you tonight. Make a decision to get up. Make a decision to get up. 
Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. Friends, if you don't make a decision tonight, make that decision. Say all to Jesus, I surrender. Every night we've been giving you an opportunity to text overcome to the number on the screen. Each night you have that opportunity to make that decision right now. Don't put it off for tomorrow. We don't know what is tomorrow. You make that decision to rise today. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. The Spirit is fluttering over the waters. Text overcome to the number on your screen. I want you to let go tonight. I want you to look up tonight, and I want you to get up. Give your life to Jesus. He's the only one who knows everything about you and still absolutely adores you. Give your life to Jesus tonight. Don't leave this place without making a decision for eternity. Thank you for listening to The Darkness Will Not Overcome, a production of Pioneer Memorial Church in collaboration with Andrews University Center for Faith Engagement. To learn more about Pioneer Memorial Church, visit pmchurch.org. If you or someone you know would like to talk to someone about a mental health or substance abuse issue, please call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us again in the future for another Pioneer Podcast.